our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. Uh, so parents, if you want to escort your kids, they'll meet in the lobby and head down. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's indestructible word to the book of Amos. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. And uh, if you're, you're looking, uh, maybe you haven't been to Amos in a while, I understand that's a minor prophet. There are 12 at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, so if you're using one of the Bibles we provided, uh, that's page six, uh, 768. And if, you, if you're just looking for it in your own uh, Bible, you can cheat and use the table of contents. That's allowed around here. Um, or you can just kind of turn to, toward the back of the Old Testament. If you've hit Matthew, that's the New Testament. You've gone too far. You just need to back up a little bit. Uh, well, we're really excited about this series that we're in, Big City, Big Questions. We know that all of us are asking uh, the ultimate questions in life. Why are we here? What's the point of life? Why is life riddled with, with so much brokenness and suffering? Today we're going to think about the, the topic of justice. And there is a lot going on in our world and a lot of causes that we all uh, care about, some more passionately than others based on our experience and, and, and our, and our uh, gifts and passions. Uh, but, but I think we would say, I mean, there are a lot of things in our world that are broken and not right. There is so much injustice, and, and these, these issues need to be addressed. So uh, the temptation for me today is to kind of get up here and act like I'm the authority on all of the issues, um, but, but what I want to do is, is not give you my take on uh, these, these matters. I want to seek, as best I can, to give you God's take. What would Jesus have to bring to the conversation today? And so as we think about this, I just, I just wonder, all right, I'm not a betting man, all right, but if I were to bet, I'm sure that probably at least more than half of you could point to some time in your week, this past week, when you said these words, that is not right. Have you, have you said that? Lately, I mean, I can think of a friend had a really crazy week. It's always crazy when you move. This particular friend was moving uh, houses, and um, you know how it is. You're always going to hit a snag uh, along the way, and, and I won't give you the details, um, but I can tell you there was a time when I was talking to him on the phone. He was explaining the situation, and I just said, that is not right. Though I can't tell you the details of his situation, I can tell you the details of one of my own situations this past month. Um, I was hanging with a friend on Friday morning. I uh, paid my $2 uh, here in the beautiful city of Medford. We now have a parking program. We have to pay for our spots around Medford Square. So I put in my $2, and, and I go into the coffee shop, and I, you know, have a great time with my friend. I go back out to my vehicle with, you know, uh, 14 minutes to spare. And as I'm walking up to my car, what, what do I see on the windshield? A ticket. So I'm thinking, oh, no. I know this didn't happen to me again. Uh, again, yeah, again. And so I'm like, how on earth did this happen? This is not right. I'm going to go and appeal this to the city because I paid my $2. And, and, and it's one of those times, you know how it is. I always keep my receipts, but this time I, I couldn't find it. And it turns out, this is really cool, um, on the 20, 20th day of the appeal process, I had 21. Um, I actually found it in my Bible. And, and what happened was I mistyped my license plate number, so they didn't know that I had paid my $2, even though I had. So be very careful when you type in your license plate number. That's a sidebar to the sermon, right? Just a word of, word, word of wisdom. Um, but anyway, and, and I, got it, I got it corrected. It was rectified. Good stuff. Um, but, but, but I, you know, when, when things happen to us personally, it's so easy just to say, that's not right, and I want something to be done about it. 
But when we are not at the center of that which is wrong, are we as passionate about the issues at hand? It's one thing to say that is not right when it comes to us, but but are, are we are we as prone to saying that when injustice happens to someone else around us, when it happens to our neighbor? You see, what I'm prone to do is saying, oh man, I'm sorry about that. Or, oh man, I, I hate that. And I, and I use that word hate so flippantly. I mean, does anyone else use that word kind of flippantly? It's just like, and I hate that. But I don't really hate that because it's the only time of the day that I thought about it and I'm not really willing to do anything about it with my life to engage in action. And perhaps you are the same way. You see, what I, what I wonder this morning is if, if Jesus took a visit to our great city and if he walked around our globe, what would, what would he have to say to the issues of of social injustice in our day? How would he respond to homes filled with verbal, physical, and sexual abuse? What would he have to say to children without a a father in in the home or or perhaps their father has just abandoned them to, to, to to not care for them? What would he say to the thousands of children in Massachusetts awaiting adoption? Or the over 423,000 kids who are in the foster care system in the United States? What would Jesus say to the supporters of Planned Parenthood who sell the body parts of aborted babies for profit? What would Jesus think about the 805 million people of the over 7 billion people in the world who are suffering from chronic undernourishment. And the the good news is we've actually come a long way since the early 90s. But we haven't come far enough. What would Jesus say about the massage parlors who house victims of sex trafficking to perform sexual acts for their customers? And this is happening right in our own city. Like if, if you're kind of naive, like I once was, to think that this isn't happening right here in Medford, right here in greater Boston, then I'm, I'm just telling you, you are naive and deceived. UNICEF would uh, say that uh, roughly 2 million children are exploited every year in the global commercial sex trade. And then we could go on to talk about uh, the genocide and happening in, in Syria and among Assyrian Christians in Iraq at the hands of of ISIS, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say to the, the city officials and government leaders in our day? What would he say to those who are responsible for carrying out such atrocities? But what I'm most interested in this morning is what would Jesus say to us? What would he say to his people who are supposed to be following him in his mission. What would he want to say to us this morning about these issues of social justice? I want to read from Amos chapter 5. This is the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, not to replace it, not to do away with it. Okay, so these words are words that he believed, that he taught, that he had memorized, and they are words that he lived out. Look at Amos 5 
starting in verse 21, and then I'll give you some context as we go. This is what God says to to his people, Israel. He says this, I hate. God doesn't say it like I say it. When he says it, he means it. I hate. I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we would not have a solemn assembly here with hearts that are empty toward you and your cause. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth about who you are, to see the reality of the world around us, and to look into the mirror of our own lives and to consider how given we are to the cause of justice, how given we are to the love of our neighbor, whoever that neighbor may be. Lord, we have much to confess before you. Lord, we do not want to be charged with this description either now or in the future. Lord, we don't want to be indifferent to the cause of justice. Lord, we want to to put our hands to work, to move, to act, to seek to do justice all the days of our life. Lord, we can't do it apart from your grace. Help us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, what we're going to see from Amos 5 and other uh, scriptures that are brought in is this, is that doing justice requires a heart that loves, sees, and acts like Jesus. All right, that's where we're going today. Super simple outline that, 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 that kind of came together. I was just thinking through uh, this, this passage and this issue. Um, doing justice requires a heart that loves, sees, and acts like justice. Now, I know we've never uh, had a, a sermon from the book of Amos in our church, so I thought we should probably back up and kind of zoom out and hear a little bit about what's going on here. You see, Amos was a prophet on behalf of God, but that was not his day job, all right? He was actually a shepherd. And so he was called by God, given this special assignment to carry God's message of, of coming judgment to his people in the hopes, and this is how God's heart is, in the hopes that his people would return to him. God is the God of the second chance. He always wants us to come back and to align our lives with his design so that we can experience the flourishing that he designed us for in the very beginning. So the book of Amos starts with what scholars would call uh, these um, oracles of judgment, all right? And they are, that's a fancy way to say uh, these were messages of, of coming judgment and destruction on the people um, who were deviating from God's design for their lives. And so at the beginning of of Amos, um, Amos actually has a message for all of Israel's pagan neighbors, people who did not love God. And so he's he's sharing with them all of the atrocities of how they went to torturous lengths 
to amass land for themselves and riches for themselves at the expense of the people who they were unjustly uh, wiping out and destroying. And so you can imagine, right? You can imagine that the people of Israel just loved to hear that. They applauded that. These, these wicked people who don't know God, um, of course they are going to have the judgment of God coming after them. And that is until we get to Amos chapter 2, verse 6. And Amos spends a lot more time talking to the people of God than he does talking about uh, their neighbors. And so what we're going to see is though this was a time of great prosperity, food was on the table, clothes were on their back, shelter was provided, the borders were secure, and they thought that that meant that God was blessing them. But as we'll see, that was certainly not the case. And why was that? Because not only did they have great prosperity, they also had rampant, rampant immorality. And so the descriptions that we find in Amos go something like this. They amassed wealth at the expense of the poor. Instead of helping the afflicted, they set them aside. They oppressed the poor and crushed the needy, Amos 4.1. They abhorred him who speaks the truth, Amos 5, verse 10. They trampled the poor, Amos 5, verse 11. And God addresses them like this. In Amos 5.7, he says this. Woe to you who would turn justice into wormwood. He's like, what's wormwood? And I like have that growing in my, my backyard, Tanner. Okay, like wormwood was a plant that had a very bitter taste and it had poisonous extract within it. And so God looks at them and he says, look, you are like a bitter taste in my mouth and you are poisonous to the cause of justice. So in light of this passage, as we kind of zoom out, this, these, are, these are serious words, aren't they? In light of this passage, what would, what would God want to say to us? What would Christ say if, if he were here today? I have three messages for us that I believe would be true of Christ, all right? Number one, I think he would say to seek justice is to love like God loves. To seek justice is to love like God loves. You see, the first component of seeking justice is love. Love is the foundation of justice. Love is what drives us and motivates us to engage in the cause of justice. And if you're smart and everything like Tanner, I mean, we talk about love all the time, and I say it all the time, but what really is love? And I think we can understand love as giving of ourselves, even at cost to ourselves, so that someone else can benefit around me. That's love. Oswald Chambers puts it more eloquently uh, than I can when he says, love is the loftiest preference of one person for another. So when we love, we have this lofty preference for them that we would set their concerns, their needs above my own. That's what love is. Is And their love, the people of Israel, it was missing in action. Their empty worship indicated their hearts had grown distant from God. And these words really rattle me because I know that, that there are many Sundays when I can come into worship where, where, where we can just kind of come in and go through the motions, but our heart is not really fully engaged with God and giving ourselves over to him. 
see, I think if people would, would walk into our church, they, they would see that, that, that apparently we are devoted to God. And by the way, I, I'm, really, I'm really thankful for our church. I think we really have a group of people that love Jesus and are seeking to live this out. But we need to hear this as a warning today, right? Because if you'd have gone into Jerusalem and you would have experienced their worship, man, they would have looked like they had it all together. They knew how to say the prayers. They knew the songs uh, that, that were to be sung. They knew how to quote the scriptures and to say the right things and even do the right things. And yet God says, look, get that noisy stuff out of my sight. I take no delight in it. They could put on a great show, but it was all fiction. It was not real. As one clever theologian puts it, there was no substance. There was no there, there. There was no power, no authenticity, no true worship. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase, just so you know. But this is what he says in the message. It's so helpful. He says this, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When is the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. See, God is not impressed with our apparent devotion if our heart is not given to him with all that we have in love back to God that is going to flow out and express itself in how we love those around us that the Bible calls our neighbor. Jesus railed on the religious leaders of his day for this very thing. Listen to Luke 11, verse 42, when Jesus says this. But he was sitting down with with, uh, a group of Pharisees, by the way, for dinner. Okay, this is just a nice dinner conversation Jesus is having with them at the time. He says, but woe to you, Pharisees. How's that for like your your next bite? Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. They neglected what mattered most. And you see, God gets so fired up about this because justice is the natural consequence of the heart of God. There is nothing but love in the heart of God. There is nothing but mercy in the heart of God. There is nothing but justice in the heart of God. God loves what is right, and he does what is right in every case. And so if you want to know what Christianity is all about, okay, it's, it's not primarily a teaching, although there is a lot of teaching in Christianity. It's not primarily a code of ethics, although there are a lot of ethical implications for our lives. Christianity is about a person. 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one we follow. And, and when we follow him, we are going to be brought into deeds of justice on a consistent basis. You say, well, why is this, Tanner? Because that's who Christ was. Go back and read the Gospels. He's going to talk about justice, and he's going to do justice. If we rewind to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament as he was predicting the coming of the Messiah, the coming rescuer and deliverer, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, right? This is what it says about him in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will what? Yeah, he will bring forth justice, not just to a few people. He will bring forth justice to the nations, Man, this is good. Um, I'm glad you guys aren't sitting too close because um, I might have to jump out uh, onto a little crowd surf with this because, because then it goes on and he says about Christ, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Do you see the mercy of Christ? A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Jesus Christ is so resolute when it comes to the cause of justice that he will not stop until he brings it fully to pass. And he's saying, I'm, I'm a Christian, I follow that Jesus, then that's what our lives need to be about. You see, I shared some statistics with you in in the kind of intro. And statistics are important. Statistics have the power to move us to a degree. But let me tell you something. Statistics can never sustain the efforts that are needed for justice. Only love can do that. Only love. I know you're feeling that, right? I didn't hear you, but amen? amen? Only love can sustain the efforts that we need for Justice. So, so first thing Jesus would say is, look, if you want to seek justice, then to seek justice is to love as God loves. But then number two, the second thing he would say to that, related is this, to love as God loves is to see as God sees. The second component of seeking justice is compassionate vision. When we start seeing like God sees, we will have a radical um, kind of uh, renovation of the way that we see people. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Even though I used to view Jesus that way, I do so no longer. Um, so what Paul was saying, he was saying, looking past all the physical appearances to the heart of people and the heart of situations that people are in. And so I love this. When, when we have the eyes of Christ, we will begin to see each person, each and every person on the planet as someone who has intrinsic dignity, worth, and value before God. You say, well, why, why is that? Well, it's because if we rewind to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that all people are what? Created in the image of God. So, so all people are to reflect who God is in in their character and in the way they act, and they are to represent him uh, on the earth. And so if, if we are made in God's image, 
unlike any other creature in the world. Hum, hum, human beings are, are different because we're made in God's image. We have the capacity to, 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 to glorify him in a way that no other creature can. We, we, we have rationality and creativity and, and, and a taste for aesthetics that, that, that you won't find in, in, in your pet, all right? Just, just saying, all right? So, so we're, we're made in the image of God. We have this intrinsic worth, worth which means your next-door neighbor and that coworker that you kind of like hope gets fired tomorrow when you go into work, don't lie, all right? We've all been there. I'm not, not me at Redemption Hill, I'm saying, but you know. Um, that person is made in the image of God. They have infinite worth before him. You said, Tanner, you're just trying to make a point. You're trying to move me to justice. Like, you can't prove that. Well, I, I can from the words of Jesus as I'm trying to say his words and not my words today. And every Sunday, by the way, um, Jesus would say this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What did that just mean? It means that you can gain the entire world. And if you lose your soul, a person's soul, then you've lost. We could have all material possessions in the world. This is the argument. You could own it all. You could own the entire United States of America and the world. And yet, Jesus would say, one soul is more valuable than all of that. That's powerful. God wants us to look at others and think that person belongs to God. That person is precious in the sight of God. That person deserves respect and love and care and compassion. See, what happens when, when we, start, we start thinking like this, when we start living like this? I think a few implications, just to take a few matters of social justice, we'll just talk about a few. Um, well, first off, when every person has equal worth and dignity before God and man, racism and genocide will be eradicated. I can, I can get on board with the hashtag Black Lives Matter really quickly because uh, of one of my experiences growing up as a kid. I grew up with a basketball, you know, under my arm. My dad was a basketball coach, so, so my, my favorite times as a kid, thinking back to the memories of playing basketball, was in my driveway at the high school where my dad coached and going to the Martin Luther King Jr. Center and mixing it up with all of my African-American brothers who you know, we're just like me. And we rubbed sweat together, and we played together, and we made fun of each other. And a lot of times I got beat. Not every time, but sometimes. But I grew up with a basketball under one arm, and I grew up, thankfully, with a Bible in my hands as well that tells me that not only does God love all people with equal dignity and worth, but the gospel unites people in a way that they can be united in no other way. You see, the gospel says in Ephesians 2 that, that God will take, but through the cross of Christ, that he will take a person like me who has white skin and isn't from around here, all right? And, and he, can, he can make me one with my man Washi from the Caribbean islands who's got a much smoother hairdo than me, all right? And, and do you see that picture? The gospel compels us not just to love people, but to even love our enemies, when we understand the inestimable, 
inestimable dignity of every person, we will also do our part to eradicate human trafficking. We've talked about that a bit. Let's drill down just a little bit. How can we hear these words and not be moved? These are the words of Kolob, a sex trafficking victim in Cambodia. She testifies in this way. They forced me to sleep with as many as 50 customers a day. I had to give the pimp all my money. If I did not earn a set amount, they punished me by removing my clothes and beating me with a stick until I fainted, electrocuting me and cutting me. This is the world we live in. And we know it's not right. Which points us to the the very existence and presence of God because we are made in His image and we long for justice as He's a God of justice. And so to bring this a little closer to home, we need to hear this. Every time a person clicks on a pornography website, we are perpetuating the sex trafficking industry of illegal prostitution and pornography. The people at Rescue Freedom International say this. This is so good. It's so convicting. Fighting human trafficking and then consuming porn is like protesting a corrupt politician and then giving to his campaign. I'm thankful for ministries like Amira in Boston who we're in conversation with to explore how we can support what they're doing in greater Boston because we as Christians should be the first in line to fight back against these evils in our day. If that means getting involved with what they're doing or most certainly it involves stopping clicking on those images on the screen. These are our sisters. And these are our potential potential sisters in Christ. To shift gears a bit, when the eyes of Christ are, are our eyes, then we will also not be indifferent to the cause of immigrants and foreigners and refugees. I like the words of Andy Minio. Okay, he's a, he's a rapper. He loves Jesus, all right? Sounds really good. He had a new CD release on Friday, all right? And then on the song Vendetta, uh, this is what he says, all right? Uh, By the people... For the people. I'm not going to rap too much, but he says this. uh, Seem like you only look out for your sort of people. There's more evil when I look around. I got to see it in me. Do you you hear the cultural critique? By the people, for the people. But we only look out for our sort of people. But there's so much evil around. What we want to do is usually point the finger, but I've got to see it in my own heart. Do you love those who are not like you? Does your heart beat for diversity? That's one thing I love about our church. I love it when people visit our church and they they say, man, what a diverse church you have. And we're saying that's exactly who we want to be because that is exactly what God's heart looks like. That is exactly what heaven is going to look like. That is exactly what our community looks like. So people will talk about all the time and you can't have a diverse church, be homogeneous. And we're just saying like, what is that? That is not the implications of the gospel.
One of, one of my friends heads up the Greater Boston Refugee Ministry. His, his name is Torley Krua, and uh, Torley is a pastor from Liberia. He's done some awesome work uh, with the Ebola crisis over the past year, both here and abroad. And, and what his ministry and organization talk about is the value of being a companion. When, when we have immigrants come into our city, legal or not, like, can we not just love them? Can we just not be their friend? Can we not just kind of like help them get acclimated? I mean, I hang out with some of you that you have a passion for this, and you spend time out of your busy schedule to, to help people get acclimated to Boston so that they know how to navigate our city and to be welcomed with hospitality and open arms. A friend shared another song with me this week. Okay, I found the Minio song. I didn't find this one. Had to have it shared with me. Um, this is a song from this band called The Brilliance. Really cool name, by the way. And this song is, is called Brother. And this is, what, this is what they say. They say, when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. Forgiveness is the garment of our courage, the power to make the peace we long to know. Open up our eyes to see the wounds that bind all of humankind. May our shutter hearts greet the dawn of life with charity and love. Do you hear that? Open up our eyes. What a great prayer. God, open up our eyes to see the wounds that bind all of humankind. Do you understand what that means? It means that person that we look down upon because they're not like us. It means their heart beats like my heart beats. It means they bleed like I bleed. They weep like we weep, and they are precious in the sight of God like us. I hope today, I've been thinking about this and I've been trying to see it in my own life. I hope that, that we as a collective people, which will take all of us as individuals to do this, I hope that we can begin to more readily confess a sense of superiority before others. And that we can cry out to God and say, God, strip that away from my heart. We all have it. We walk into the room, that person is not as smart as I am. That person is not from where I'm from. That person doesn't make as much money as I do. That person didn't work as hard as me. I mean, these are, these are thoughts that we have come into our minds. I deserve what I get, and so do they. Look at them. They didn't, they didn't work as hard as I have worked. And then all of a sudden, even as Christians, what happens is we forget grace. We are who we are by the grace of God. No one caused you to be born in America. You say, well, I'll, I'll concede that, but, but now that I'm here, man, just look at, look at how, how ingenious I am and how I get things done. I'm climbing, you know, the kind of corporate ladder in my job. Um, well, did you give yourself the mind that can adjudicate the complexities of your field? No. 
I know, I'm so thankful that you're with me today. And I know that's common, whether I'm preaching or John's preaching or whoever, I sense it today. Um, but, but I still want to say this to you and to me. We are better than no one. We, we are better than no one. There's, there's no, not one of our neighbors that we should ever look at with a sense of superiority as if we are better than them. Because the only thing that's keeping food on our table is the grace of God. The only thing that's, that's keeping me out from behind the prison bars is the grace and love of God. Our pride hinders us from loving our neighbor and seeing them as God sees them. So we need to pray and ask God to love as he loves by seeing as he sees. And then finally, number three, what what Jesus would want to say to us today is, is this. To see as God sees is to act as God acts. To see as God sees is to act as God acts. It's not enough to see a need and not be moved to action as we have power and opportunity. Look at back at verse 24, Amos 5. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God wants oceans of justice and rivers of righteousness. This is the summary of life according to another prophet in the Old Testament, Micah, in Micah 6, uh, verse 8, when he says this, he has told you, speaking of God, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Here's a great job description for life. To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love mercy, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, I I, I minored in psychology in college. And one of my favorite classes was social psychology. I think it's because I love people a lot. And and so in social psych, one of the the kind of case studies that blew my mind um, was from 1964 when this lady named Kitty Genovese was murdered they came up with this, this theory called the bystander effect. And you see, what happened was she, was she was actually beaten to death in public, and the newspaper reported, whether it's accurate or whether it's a little lower than that, that 38 people over the course of an hour witnessed her being abused that led to her eventual death. And that blows our minds. How could that happen but, but here's the reality. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the greater the number of people, the greater the assumption that someone else will take care of that. Right? And this is part of our problem, even in the church. Somebody will take care of that. S- someone else will love that orphan. Someone else will seek justice for the lady who was abused. Someone else will give up a dinner on Friday night out at a nice restaurant so someone else can have food on their table. Someone else will get to that. But in contrast to this, you have Jesus. 
giving one of his most famous parables in Luke chapter 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And everyone thinks that parable is about doing nice things for people. And it is, but it's so more, much more than that. Let me give it to you briefly. There was a lawyer who came up to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, uh, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus, that's like, that's not a tough question for Jesus. And I just say, you know, so, so he answers, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's number one. And number two is, is very similar. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. To let your love for God so influence your, your love for others that you're just loving them like you would love yourself. And so the conversation didn't end there. I mean, this is a, this is a thinker. He's a lawyer. He's, he's putting it all together. And he says, well, well, Jesus, seeking to justify himself, actually, he was wanting to be justified in, in the sight of Jesus and others. And so he says, um, well, who is my neighbor? Which leads Jesus to tell the story of the, the, the good Samaritan. You see there, it says that there was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a dangerous road in that day, 17 miles And it says that he fell among robbers, and he was stripped of his clothes, beaten, and left for dead. And Jesus tells the story in such a way that the first person that comes by him on the opposite side of the road is a Pharisee. Who were the Pharisees? We just talked about it. They were religious leaders. If there was ever a hero to come to the aid of of the the, the stripped and beaten man left for dead, it should have been this, this leader, this priest, this pastor... And yet he walks on by. And then a Levite comes by. Levites knew the law backwards and forwards. They knew what the cause of justice should look like, but it says the Levite passed by as well. But then Jesus says, this Samaritan. Samaritan was someone that didn't get along very well with the Jews. The Jews looked down upon them. They called them uh, racial slurs. They didn't think they were legitimate to the people of of Israel. And so um, Jesus sets up the hero of the story to be the Samaritan who goes over and cares for the man. He binds up his wounds. He he takes him off to uh, receive shelter. And then he says that he'll come back and check on him to make sure that he's okay. And Jesus asks a question in return to the lawyer. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man? And the answer was simply this, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you are correct. Go and do likewise. So, so what, is, what is the point of the Good Samaritan parable? It's not just to kind of do something nice on occasion as opportunity presents itself but it is actually to be a neighbor to anyone and everyone that you come in contact with, the people that are not like you and the people that you don't particularly like. We are to go and to extend mercy to them because we know the God of mercy and justice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, was a German pastor, a Lutheran pastor in Germany in in the 1930s uh, when uh, Hitler and and the Nazis were on the rise. Um, He was part of the confessing church that that broke away from the kind of Nazified church in Germany. And um, he he actually joined with others in in an assassination attempt on Hitler's life. And he was was caught and he was hanged uh, for his participation in that act. But, but, but 
Bonhoeffer, that, that was the last thing that Bonhoeffer wanted to do, but that's what he felt like he had to do for the cause of justice in his day. But I love what he says about, about the matters of, of, of justice. He says this, We are not simply uh, to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wills of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the will itself. We give everything that we can to disable the cause of injustice around us. You say, well, Tanner, what's that going to take? It's going to take a a heart like Christ that gets this vision of justice. Listen to this from, from Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie. He says this, the righteous or the just, they are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. But the wicked are the opposite. The the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Did you hear what what he just said? What Waukee pictures is this, is the collision of the two greatest components of justice, which are love and action. Love is giving of ourselves at the expense of ourselves for the benefit of others and to be so filled with that love that we are ready to move on it and to act for the sake of someone else. That is justice. So, so let's wrap up by just asking this. Tanner, this is, this is all hopefully pretty convincing. What do I do? There's so much injustice in our world. My tiny little life will, will, will only uh, put a like, microscopic dent in the cause of injustice in our world, but I'm ready to put my microscopic dent into the equation. Because what God asks us to do is not feed 700 million people or adopt every orphan. But God asks us to do good as we have opportunity. The power of one cup of cold water, the power of one conversation to a listening ear that no one else wants to listen to. So then let us do good to everyone, what? As we have opportunity. As we have opportunity, God has placed you where he's placed you for a reason. You have neighbors that I don't have. You have coworkers that I don't have. You rub shoulders with people who are experiencing the effects of injustice that I don't. But what happens when you do your part and you do your part and I do my part and we do our part? Then God starts to become more and more glorified and these people's needs become more and more met. And the cause of justice starts to roll. It starts to roll like waters. And you know what happens? I love this. You know what happens when waters roll? They begin to roar, and you can hear that roar from a great distance. That is the kind of vision that we should pray for as a church, that God would make us a people who love mercy, who do justice, and walk humbly with our God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask...